The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Uh, tonight, our topic is counseling as if a life depended on it. And we're talking about counselees with anorexia. Uh, a couple, two or three years ago, however long it was, a couple of years ago, Stuart Scott asked me if I wanted to or I, if I would contribute to a book entitled Counseling the Hard Cases. And I said, no. <laughs> and he just wouldn't take no for an answer. Oh, thank you. And, and, and so um, I said, well, if I can write about anorexia, I will. So he said, okay. And... Um, and then I also contacted the ACBC group and said, uh, could I do a workshop on anorexia this, that particular year? And they said yes. So it seemed like I had, I, I don't have a lot of cases with anorexia, but I just had a run of them <laughs> during that time, so it was kind of on my mind. Um, so far, as I know, all of them that I have counseled have eventually done well. There was one 16-year-old teenage girl from another town in way south of where I live, and her dad brought her a couple of times, but I don't know what happened to her. I, I, I do wonder if she made it or not, but she was in bad shape. But it, even though eventually they can do well and get over this and glorify God and just enjoy food again, um, it's not easy. And sometimes it can be, usually is a long drawn out process. So it's not like I can just counsel somebody with anorexia for four or five times and dismiss them. It, it's usually a, a long term thing. Um, there are I, two emergencies. One is a life threatening emergency that they could die. And the other one is the spiritual, eternal soul-threatening emergency. And so for this workshop, what I want to do is define anorexia, give you a few basic facts, uh, tell you the symptoms, the danger points, the doctor's involvement, that's critical, uh, give you some uh, data-gathering questions to help you get kind of to the, the nitty-gritty, if you will, quickly, how to give hope. I want to talk about some of the more important agenda items, such as vanity, perfectionism, a gentle and quiet spirit, uh, helping them, counseling them to have a high view of God, uh, help I want to emphasize how to help your counselee face reality because they are delusional and they are not, they, they're not perceiving what they're doing in a reality way. 
or what they're eating or how they're eating and um, help you to help them restructure by God's grace her heart, her thoughts, and her eating. And then I want to tell you about some homework that I use. So I want to define anorexia. Anorexia is an eating disorder characterized by markedly reduced appetite or total aversion to food. It is a condition that goes well beyond the out-of-control dieting. The individual continues the endless cycle of restrictive eating, often to the point close to starvation. This has become an obsession. It's similar to a drug addiction, and it can be, and it is life-threatening. I have to take it very seriously. Statistics are at least 20% will die. The cost for the treatment, like inpatient treatment, would range around $1,200 a day. Um, 85% of people diagnosed with anorexia are diagnosed before the age of 20. So usually they're um, college age or maybe even high school age. In uh, only 10 to 15% are males. Uh, I don't even think it's that high, really. It's mostly women. Uh, the death rate of someone who's anorexic is 12 times higher than the death rate of all causes of female deaths in the 18 to 24-year-old age range. So if you combine every cause of death in that age range, this, the, the, this is 12 times higher than that. Some of, pardon? Oh, yeah, I mean, the, it's life-threatening. I mean, you can't just sort of sit back and relax and, and you, you've got to really engage with them. And, um, and I'll tell you how in a minute, but they're, they're going to have to have somebody with them. It's, it's, um, it's critical. Um, so the symptoms, I want to talk about symptoms, doctor's involvement, family involvement. The symptoms are because, see, they're starving to death. They don't, they're not getting enough nutrition to the brain. The brain has to have carbs in order to function. It can't feed off of fat or anything else. I mean, it can't. So they have trouble thinking. Usually they're sad, they're moody, they're uh, irritable. They have trouble remembering things. Often they will faint. Their blood pressure goes down. Their heart rate will go up uh, to be, and then eventually get slower and slower until they die. Palpitations, their heart will have different rhythm problems. Heart failure, um, eventually, when, when the body uh, uses all of the fat that's there, it begins to digest the muscle and um, eventually their heart will fail. They get anemic, weak muscles, swollen joints, fracture, osteoporosis, the bones become very brittle, kidney failure, kidney stones, decreased potassium and sodium, constipation, bloating. Their periods will stop 
Uh, they bruise very easily. Their skin is very dry. They're, they're starving. Um, the danger points and the doctor's involvement. Any counseling that you would have or that I would have, they must have a complete physical and tell the doctor the truth and active involvement. And I will not counsel them unless they give me written permission and give the doctor written permission for the doctor and I to talk with each other. Um, typically, I would require her to weigh in once a week at the doctor's office. So now some counselors, some biblical counselors would say don't tell them how much they weigh. They're just, it's just going to upset them if they gain a pound or two. But I think, I understand why they're saying that, but I think part of facing reality is knowing how much you weigh. So I do want them to know how much they weigh. That's what I recommend. Um, family involvement is critical. And normally, I would require at least one family member to be present at each counseling session, whether it's the mother, the husband, the whoever. Somebody has to be there to hear what I'm saying to her and also to be able to monitor what's going on at home. Um, and the, it's not been a problem having someone come because the family is just devastated and they're scared. And, you know, they want to, to do something to help. Um, almost always, I begin with seeing someone like this twice a week sometimes three times a week, if depending on how critical they are, at what junction, you know, they are. Um, and now that in my church, we have a free biblical counseling uh, to the community. We have a counseling training center, and um, one of the other lady counselors will be in there with me too. So that in case, for some reason, I can't see the person, she can, and um, it would, it's just, uh, we just double team her is what we do there. Um, now, some of the questions that you would want to ask, um, I'll give you a, uh, a little case study. I called her Ashley. Ashley is a typical teen growing up in a Christian home and struggling with anorexia. She has come home from her first year at college because she became she got so weak and lost so much weight she became physically unable to continue due to self-starvation. So here's a t some typical questions that I would ask her. Tell me about your relationship with the Lord. And this is the typical answer that I would get in the southeast of it of uh, the country because everybody there thinks they're born again whether they are or not but um, she said I asked Jesus into my heart when I was eight years old now I'm not sure I'm a Christian I used to read my Bible and pray but have not done so in several months I want to be a Christian but now I'm really confused I do go to church with my family when I'm home from school I grew up in church 
And then another question, and this wouldn't be in necessarily in the order I would ask these questions, but do you think you are a perfectionist? And she said, well, my family and friends think so, but I'm not sure. Uh, I think I just want to do my best, which is a good thing. Um, I'm probably pretty confident she is a perfectionist <laughs> there. It, it's not always the case, but usually it goes hand in hand. Tell me how much you weighed and what went through your mind when you started on your diet. I was a senior in high school. I realized I was fat. I weighed 135 pounds, and I'm only 5'3". I just wanted to lose about 20 pounds and be little like my best girlfriend. I did a lot of research on the computer, and that, this is every time now, um, they go on the computer. You can even go on websites that will tell you how to do, be anorexic. Um, but it starts out with, I want to eat healthy. Um, I did a lot of research, found out how to eat healthy, healthily. I worked really hard at dieting and exercising. I got a lot of compliments at first, so over time I doubled my efforts. Now, do you have rules about what you absolutely will not eat? They all have rules about what they won't eat. Uh, give me some examples of your rules. And she, she would say, yes, but they are all based on healthy eating. They're not healthy. She's starving. She's killing herself. But in her mind, she thinks it is healthy. Um, I do not eat any sugar. That's one rule. No fat, another rule. No bread, no red meat, only lean chicken and fish, no starchy vegetables such as potatoes. I will eat some fruit, very limited, and non-fat yogurt. So by the time you pile rule after rule after rule on, you just get down to lettuce and water, basically, is what you're left with. Um, how is your relationship with your parents? Well, it used to be good, but now they harass me all the time about what I eat. I tell them if they'll just leave me alone, I'll be fine. And the family has typically, they vacillate between fussing at her and then just saying nothing. And neither one work, but they don't know what to do. It's, it's, a, it's a desperate time. How much do you exercise each day? You need to ask her that. Usually I fast walk or jog about 45 minutes each day. Then I try to do 30 minutes of aerobic exercise and stomach crunches. Right now it is difficult for me as I don't have much energy because she's lost so much weight and she's just weak and tired. But she said, I try. Um, what do you think would happen if you ate what your mom wants you to eat? And she said, I'd be fat. I've worked too hard to get the weight off. I'm not going back there. Uh, and they do tend to have all or nothing thinking. They're either, you know, totally in control and thin, or you eat one meal and you're fat kind of thing. Um, how did you learn what is healthy to eat and what is not? 
from doing research on the computer. And then uh, her mom added, she has spent countless hours researching on the computer. And they, 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 they become obsessed with calories and all of these things. And they can tell you at any, usually, any given time in the day exactly how many calories they have taken in for that day. Um, have you thought about suicide? If so, how would you do it? And she said, I have at times wished I were dead, but I've never thought how I would accomplish that. I would never do it. Um, all right, now, you want to give a boatload of hope to her, as well as her mom, and pro usually the dad comes too. I mean, the whole family. I've had whole families come <laughs> at the first session because they're so scared. Um, things like encouraging things that you can say. I know this is difficult, but this is not insurmountable. With God's help, there is no reason that you will not only overcome this, will, but will also have a joy and gratitude in what you eat. Uh, the bad news is that this is sin, but the good news is that it is just sin. In other words, it's, it's not a disease, it is sin, and sin can be repented of. And that is good news. Ashley, I, I know you must be afraid that I'm going to make you eat so much that you become fat. And I, and I think this is important to reassure her at the very get-go. But the truth is, God doesn't want you to be fat either. Instead, he wants you to have self-control, joy in what you eat, and to glorify him in the process. And then tell her, because I know this is going to be scary, it's going to terrify her to start eating. So it's going to be scary for you, and we're going to go slowly. We're going to start out slowly. I don't expect her to go home and start eating 2,000 calories a day uh, when she's been eating 400 you know, or something like that. Um, one of the things you will learn is how not to lean on your own understanding, Proverbs 3, 6, but trust God and those whom God has given to help you. You know, it says, in the Proverbs it says, don't lean on your own understanding. So they're they have totally they totally lean on their own understanding and it is terrifying for them to think of letting go of what they have understood is um, the way to eat and and they get out of control and then sometimes I've even had counselors say I know I'm out of control and I'm terrified but I can't stop so all right some of the specific scriptures and that I would read and walk them through and explain and assign for them to review. They're, they have trouble thinking, but they can write them out on an index card and just say them out loud several times a day. Is uh, Lamentations 3, 21 through 25. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Romans 8, 28 through 30. We know God causes all things to work together for good. Explain 
that there's a hitch there for those who love God. And you have to be a born-again Christian, and you have to be being obedient to His Word. But then He will he will somehow, some way, supernaturally begin to conform you to the image of Christ. And it's all for His glory. So uh, not just read that, but just kind of explain it as you go. And then 1 Corinthians uh, 10.13 is the one about um, there's no temptation but such is common to man and God is faithful. And then uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 10.31, whatever you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. So some of the important agenda items, um, I'll talk about these. But keep in mind that probably a few weeks into this, when they begin to eat, um, they can think better then. You might have to revisit these things. Like I've taken uh, several through at least Fitzpatrick's book, Love to Eat, Hate to Eat, and had to do it again, you know, a few months later because they really didn't get much out of it the first time because they couldn't think well. But one of the things is the gospel. Even if they profess to be a believer like this girl or she thought she was, uh, revisit the gospel thoroughly. I like Stuart Scott's uh, PowerPoint presentation of the gospel. I have a Bible study called the Salvation Worksheets. It's in the back of almost all of my books. It also is on my website, and in your handout it says uh, MarthaPeace.com. Right now we're fighting over Earthlink for this domain name, but I have a new website, and it's MarthaPeace, and then T-E-W, The Excellent Wife. It's all lowercase, at blogspot b-l-o-g-s-p-o-t dot com Martha Peace at blogspot dot com so hopefully soon um, we will w Lord will let us prevail over Earthlink and let me have my name back um, but anyway the salvation worksheets the sanctification Bible study and the put off and put on Bible study that I wrote are free downloads on my website. So you can use them, print them out as many as you want, you know, give, give them for homework if you want to. But give the gospel, keep kind of revisiting the gospel. And um, then another thing that I do with all my counselees but the, the, um, is talk about the big picture turning to Christ for help, for comfort. Uh, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, that's the come boldly to the throne of grace and you'll find grace to help and mercy in time of need. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in the proper time, casting all your cares on him. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, um, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Uh, for I'm lowly and humble in heart. Um, so 
that the um, you want she's being pretty much obsessed with herself and her what she looks like and what she's doing and um, you want to begin to present the claims of Christ and turn help her exhort her to turn to Christ for help and comfort and then the another big picture thing are the two most important commandments loving God and loving others and we show love to God by obeying him obeying his word love to others by being patient by being kind by not being selfish it says first Corinthians 13 says love doesn't seek its own way she's being selfish and this is the way she can show love to her mother by eating that biscuit that her mother's trying to kill her with. <laughs> and so um, this is helping her to turn her focus from herself to God and to others. Now this is going to be a process and it's going to be reminding her often of these things. But the Word of God is alive and powerful and I would definitely um, use as much scripture as I could there. And then the, teach her the doctrine of sanctification. Uh, the Bible study that I wrote explains all that about the difference between positional sanctification and progressive sanctification and then future perfection when we go to be with the Lord. But I did a lecture on sanctification at the at a ACBC conference. If you want to listen to that, you can get it from Soundword Associates. But basically, the Bible study I wrote is, is the same kind of thing there. Um, vanity. Now, vanity is an issue. You need to either teach the biblical principles of what the Bible says to your counselee, or you can have her read and answer the questions. I wrote a chapter on vanity in my book, Damsels in Distress, and it has questions at the end of that chapter. And I mean, obviously you, can't, you don't do all this in one week. You just gather data and give hope and you know, get her started a little bit the very first time you see her. I have done a lot of research on gentle and quiet spirit and um, it's not exactly what we think it is, but we know we don't always have it, <laughs> whatever it is. But this is accepting God's dealings with you as good. In other words, you don't contend with God. You don't shake your fist at Him. You don't dispute with Him. And a woman with a gentle and quiet spirit also is not given to anger or fear. So that's how it, what it looks like with somebody that has a gentle and quiet spirit. And then um, on that, in that lecture, in that material, I came up with a, a, what I call biblical principles homework assignment or assessment assignment. It has a lot of questions and it has a, a lot of scripture and uh, you can either go through if you use that um, you can get if you want the handout with those questions 
you can email me. Here's, here's my email address. And uh, just say you want the handout from the Gentle and Quiet Spirit lecture, and I, I'll send you, I'll email you that. Um, with perfectionism, I recommend Amy Baker's material. Her new book is called Picture Perfect, and it is great. And um, I have taken, I, I uh, counseled a 15-year-old who was anorexic um, re, uh, last year. She was so badly, she was just paralyzed with fear and would not eat and wouldn't even talk to us, even her family, and she scared me. In 26 years of doing this counseling, it's the only time that I, I went to our church secretary and said, I'm going to write out a prayer request, um, and I want, I'd like for you to send it out to our whole church family. And I told him, I said, I'm scared for this little girl, and um, I don't know if she's going to make it or not. And um, she was... She, she was catatonic, and I, I, it was like, whoa. So anyway, her, her family, though, was so wonderful, and they were fully persuaded of the sufficiency of Christ and of the scriptures, but everybody was scared. And uh, with her, I, I told her, I told them, I said, you're going to have to make an appointment with a psychiatrist because I didn't know she'd had a psychotic break. If, if nobody will talk to you and they're acting weird, you don't know, you know really what's going on. And uh, so they did make an appointment and I said, and also if she gets so dehydrated you have to take her to the ER. You, they're going to have to give her fluids and correct her electrolyte balance. And if you don't have an appointment with a psychiatrist, they'll call defects on you. So they did have to go to the ER once, um, and, but, but they didn't, the, the ER didn't, they wanted to admit her to a psych hospital, and the mother said no, but they didn't press it because they, you know, she said, we have a counselor, we're, she's working with her two or three times a week, Our, her pediatrician is working with her, and we have an appointment with a psychiatrist. So they backed off. But you have to think about those things. Um, one of the agenda items is to teach them a high and accurate view of God. And um, I just absolutely love Arthur Pink's little book, The Attributes of God. It is so good. And when she finally started talking to me, uh, I, she, you know, I, when you have somebody who is like that, I didn't know if she was listening to me or not. I didn't know what her problem was, except she was starving herself to death and she wouldn't talk to me or anybody. Um, so I talked to her as if she could understand and I gave her my little bit of my testimony. I gave her the gospel. I kept giving her the gospel. I taught her the doctrine of uh, sanctification. I taught every time she came. I would open the Bible and teach her something. But I would ask her because it was 
it seemed obvious that something catastrophically traumatic had happened to her. I asked her if she was sexually molested. I asked her, you know, what you've got to tell me what's happened. She no expression. She wouldn't even look at me. And then one day, I asked her, "Are you doing cocaine?" And I got this little smile. She wasn't doing drugs, and I didn't think she was. But I said that, and she thought that was funny. So I'm like, I know she's listening to me. Um, there. But um, anyway, this high and accurate view of God, and when we were able to start going through Arthur Pink's book, and and I tell them, um, the chapters are small, and we just do one chapter at a time, but any scripture that he just cites the reference and doesn't quote it, look it up and I would have her underline things that she thought were important or stood out to her and then I would do the same thing and I would we'd go page by page you tell me what you underlined and I'll tell you what I underlined and about halfway through that book there was a big turn in her thinking and she she was terrified that she wasn't saved when she the first time she finally talked to me and and it was um, not easy for her to talk but uh, finally uh, after a few weeks of she had finally begun to eat a little bit enough and uh, she said it's not what you think it is and I said, well, tell me what it is. She absolutely was terrified that she was not a Christian and she was going to hell. And she was, she was the little legalist is what she was, and she was trying to earn her salvation. And then she got delusional. So God, she said, God told me I could not eat until I got this settled. And I said, well... That's not what God told me. <laughs> so, you know, I took her to the scriptures, and, and but it, it scared her. It terrified her. Um, usually I wait a few weeks before starting them on Pink's book because it takes a while for them to begin getting enough nourishment to the brain. Um, um, and then uh, Roman numeral number seven help her face reality and restructure by God's grace her thoughts and her eating. Her sinful, obsessive thoughts needed to be replaced by loving God and loving others' thoughts. And I gave some examples. Um, When she would tell me what she was thinking, or then when she finally started communicating with everybody, I would assign her a self-talk log. When you get scared or when you are unsure or you feel frustrated or irritated because they get angry if people try to tell them what to eat or do, um, please write down for me what you're thinking. And so these are the kinds of thoughts that would come out. Everyone is watching me. Why can't they leave me alone? Well, probably they all were staring at her. (laughs) 
at the dinner table. Uh, but loving God and loving other thoughts, everyone is not watching me. That's reality. And those that are love me very much. I don't blame them for being worried. Or if I eat what my mother cooked, I will be fat. Instead, if I gratefully eat what my mother cooked, I will show love to my mother by not being selfish and show trust to God by not relying or leaning on my own understanding. And then there's nothing wrong with wanting to be healthy. Well, the truth is there is nothing wrong with wanting to be healthy. But according to my doctor, my eating habits are not healthy. I have to relearn what is healthy. And I asked the doctor to prescribe a weight, uh, a minimum weight for uh, the age and height and, and all that. Because let that let him be the bad guy on that. But um, they have charts, you know, that they can look at to see what's reasonable and healthy. Um, this makes me so angry. They just get furious. And instead, thinking, thank you, Lord, for this trial that I'm still alive and that you have sent my family and my counselor to help me. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Be thankful for all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I don't know how many times this this one particular gal, um, I just would, she, you could tell she get, was getting irritated with me, and I would smile and I'd say, You know, I am such a blessing for you. <laughs> and she thought that was funny. Um, I hate being home. These college kids that have to leave school because they're so sick, uh, they, they don't like it. Instead, thinking it's God's special blessing to me that I can be home and receive the help that I so desperately need. I am glad I am home. I don't feel like eating. Instead, and that's probably true, they're sick. Um, I will eat whether I feel like it or not, and if I have, and this is important, if I have to gain weight, I will just have to gain weight. I'm going to honor the Lord. He will help me whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I am to do everything for the glory of God. Um, I will not eat gravy on my rice. It is unhealthy and will make me fat. Now, when, when they pull that, I can't eat fat because it's unhealthy. I ask them, do you have hypercholesterol disease? Well, they don't. You know, they're 16 years old. And, um, and no, I don't have that. Well, then uh, the truth is that your mo my mom's gravy is not unhealthy for me as I do not have a health problem with cholesterol. It is God's will for me that I gain weight. Thank you, Lord, for this gravy. I will eat it now. And just pray that the mom's gravy is good. <laughs> <laughs> that serving of ice cream is 160 calories. Tomorrow morning I will skip breakfast but write down on the food diary that I did eat breakfast. They'll lie. They will deceive you. 
They will put rocks in their pocket when they time to weigh in. Uh, or they'll drink a 16 ounce or 32 ounce glass of water so that they'll weigh more, you know, on the scale. But um, you do have them keep a food diary of what they ate and how many calories it is. Lord, forgive me for plotting to do evil. By your grace, tomorrow morning, I will not only eat breakfast, but I will also be grateful for it. 1 John 1, 9. So don't be surprised if at some point in the process they fess up and say, well, I'm not gaining weight because I've been lying, you know, my food diary. Uh, Mother made a chicken casserole. Casseroles freak them out because they don't know what's in a casserole. It's more than one ingredient. Uh, Mother made a chicken casserole. I can't eat it because I don't know what ingredients she put in it. Instead, thinking love is not selfish, this is a way I can show love to my mom by graciously eating what she has prepared. Any sugar, no matter what, is really bad for you. It is going to make me sick. And so a a right thought would be nonsense. (laughs) We have freedom in the Lord to eat sugar as long as we're not gluttonous. Thank you, Lord, for sugar. Uh, There is no way I'm going to eat that meatloaf. It's fatty and red meat. Everyone knows it's unhealthy. I can't believe my mother would do this to me. The right thought. Reality is that because I'm healthy and don't have hypercholesterol disease, I can eat a normal portion of meatloaf. It's okay. The world tells you don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. But scripture tells us to enjoy the freedoms we have in the Lord and that God has declared even meatloaf good. Even Peter had to be reminded of that when God gave him the dream on the rooftop, you know, that all the animals were clean uh, to eat. The don't handle, don't taste, don't touch is from Colossians 2, and it's asceticism. It's self-abasement. It's punishing yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the person, like in a monastery, you know, if they sleep on a, a rock bed or you know, starve themselves half to death or whatever, take all these vows and punish themselves, then they are uh, ascetic. All right, I'm going to eat some of this, the biscuit, so they won't be on my case, but I will exercise secretly for 20 minutes tonight to make up for it. They'll get up in the middle of the night and exercise. So I, I, once they start getting stronger and they can maybe do that, um, the, I would ask them, do you ever get up in the middle of the night and exercise? Because if you're starving or you're hungry, it wakes you up. Your body wakes you up too. Um, God forbid that I would plot evil in my heart. I'm going to eat all the biscuit and thank my mother and thank the Lord for it. Now, the the case I told you about is the most extreme case I've ever had. But um, they're all life-threatening, but usually they're not catatonic. Usually they'll talk to you, and it's a little easier to um, start to begin to make some progress. But here's a couple of questions the parents are going to wonder about. 
What should we do if she just sits and stares at her food? Now the whole family sit down, sits down to eat and the mother serves the food. And um, so the answer is remain calm, talk to her very calmly and give her hope. Um, say something like this. I know this is very hard for you. Don't yell, don't scream, just very gentle. I know this is very hard for you, but the Lord will help you. I want you to pick up your fork and take a bite of potatoes or whatever. Ask the Lord to ha for help. And we are going to stop eating right now and pray for you. Just briefly, pray for her that she will eat and obey God. And then we're going to continue our meal and then continue the meal, whether she eats or not. Now, um, when I know I have somebody coming who's anorexic, I stop at the bookstore and buy her a journal just a, that she can write in, a pretty one. I, get, I give her a present, and um, it just kind of helps me to, <laughs> to give her a present, give her a blessing. And the journal is not a journal about her bad feelings or her bad thoughts. The journal is a Think These Thoughts journal. So even that very first time when I couldn't get the gal to, I could not even get her to look in the, the bag when I said I brought you a present. She, she wouldn't even, so I took it out and showed it to her, told her what it was, think these thoughts journal. And I um, wrote, because she, I would have had her write if she had been able to, but she couldn't, she didn't, um, about a, a two-page list of right thoughts to think. Lord, please help me to do the right thing. Please help me to take my fork and take a bite of this food and put it in my mouth. Um, just simple thoughts. And uh, Lord, help me not to lean on my own understanding. Uh, my request is that I won't... The, have a panic attack, or she may be already having a panic attack. And um, anyway, think of lots of simple, short, really good thoughts. And then, like the mom or dad can calmly, uh, if the gal won't read over those thoughts, um, read them to her. And then once she gets better, enough to memorize them, then, uh, in fact, when she started getting better, um, they, I remember at least once, she just was panicking and didn't start eating, jumped up, ran in her room, got her journal, and came back, and she was reading it there. So help, help her um, just with simple, quick, easy things to make, to, instead of yelling and being mad at her, that's not going to work. The anger of man doesn't do the righteousness of God. But um, anyway, then the mother said, 
what if we think our daughter's not doing well physically? And I said, this is a judgment call. At any time, you can call 911. And they will come out, they'll take her vital signs and recommend if she needs to go to the ER. Uh, or you can just drive her to the ER. Uh, pray for wisdom, but it is always better to be safe than sorry. And if the paramedics say, well, I don't think she needs to be transported, then that's, you know, that's fine. More than likely, they're going to say, you know, she needs to go. But they can even start giving her fluids, you know, right there in the home and uh, then put her in the ambulance. So I, I said, if, if your electrolytes get too messed up, your heart will stop beating. So it's, you know, it's just better to be safe than sorry. If she gets so weak and dehydrated and she's fainty and all of that, she, you need help. So um, you can call the doctor, but he's just going to say call 911 because he's not there. And the only way to know where her electrolytes are is, is to do blood test. So, um, okay, um, homework. Doctor's appointment. Now, a lot of them are already involved with the doctor, but if they're not, they have to be. And uh, I would ask the doctor for the normal weight range based on the age and height. Um, I would assign her to do a food diary with a minimum number of calories. Now, if they're eating like three or four hundred calories a day or nothing, I might say you have to eat 800 calories a day. Now that's still not enough to maintain their weight, but it's for them it's like I've asked them to eat this much food, you know, and um, so, but start out slowly and gradually work up, but tell them that very first time, once you get to the, a normal healthy weight, then we're going to uh, start cutting back a little bit on your calories. We'll titrate it. We're not just going to say, okay, you're cured and let you go. And if they need to go to a nutritionist, um, that if they're grown, if they're not living with their mother, um, that may help, but um, a, the diet needs to include a balance of carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. And if you're not comfortable with uh, instructing them, you know, that way, because of my medical background, I can, I, I can do that. But send them to a nutritionist. And most moms just know intuitively what is normal eating, you know, there. Um, and then the self-talk log is important for her to write down when she feels scared or she feels frustrated or overwhelmed or stressed out. Please write down for me what you're thinking. And then all the right thoughts that we come up with when she comes back, we add those to the Think These Thoughts journal. And any scripture that she likes or that I think is appropriate to put in there to write it out uh, can go in the Think These Thoughts journal. And so you, she keeps adding to it, 
but she keeps going back and rereading it, and and it, uh, it's very helpful. Um, I, most of the time, if they're still exercising, um, I may say how much time and what do you do. I may cut them back on some of that and, and say, and I'm going to reserve the right to just say you can't exercise right now at all. If you don't start gaining weight, you know, you, you, so you want to try to be as reasonable as you can be, but um, a lot of times they're, they're just too weak to even exercise anyway. But uh, just it, that may have to be cut out, but certainly cut back. Um, and then daily Bible reading, and you want to assign specific scriptures Ask them to read the scriptures out loud several times. Like if you give them a psalm to read or a section somewhere because they do have trouble uh, concentrating. I have started, and I'm going to do a workshop on this, Lord willing, at the NANC conference, at the ACBC conference in October. We changed our name. Uh, on praying for your counselee, but also writing out prayers for them to pray. Now, I've always assigned my counselees to pray, but this is new. And I will write out a pretty long, type out a pretty long prayer once I get to know them especially if they're really struggling, like somebody like this. Um, and I would, I'll give them that and say, I want you to pray this prayer every day. And um, plus, you know, pray your own prayers too. But so far, with the ones that are pretty deeply emotionally disturbed, uh, they have cooperated. I've never had somebody yet say, I'm not going to pray that prayer. Uh, it's special for them. You know, it's, it's tailor-made around their sin, around their, uh, how they should be thinking about God. And, uh, and then I, I have, I've seen God working powerfully in that. So, um, I, that's one thing that you can do. Uh, the Think These Thoughts journal, she can uh, begin to write uh, specific thoughts that encourage her, quotes that she likes, or thoughts in her own words that are true and God honoring and right. Um, memory work, 1 Corinthians 10 31, uh, Hebrews 4 14 through 16. I mean, there's just. Uh, I usually take them through the Love to Eat, Hate to Eat book that Elise wrote. Trusting God by Jerry Bridges uh, might be an appropriate book to take them through. Um, the it is. Um, I look at 
when, when I take on a counselee, I, I look at, on it as a moral commitment and a professional commitment. Now, I don't get paid for counseling, but you do want to be professional. And so um, once I take somebody on, if they're making a reasonably good faith effort, uh, doing their homework and trying, um, I'll hang in there with them. So the little girl that I told you about that was so in such danger, uh, I started seeing her in April, I believe. Her parents called our church and said, our daughter's anorexic, we're in an emergency, we, we have got to see somebody. Well, that somebody was me. It was the day I was counseling anyway, but I was full up. And But I, when I heard she was anorexic, I said, well, tell the parents, if they'll both come and bring her, I'll, I'll just see them during my lunch break. And so I did. And then I think I saw her the next day. And I mean, it was, um, it started the process. So I, I really, you, you need to make an assessment. And not everybody who struggles with anorexia is that critical, you know, but sometimes they are. Um, the counseling, somebody who's anorexic must be taken very seriously. You are counseling as if a life depended on it. But it's like Steve's, I, I think it was Steve Byers, somebody, yeah, Steve said in his in the panel, he really, he's so much more relaxed in his counseling because he's completely, totally, utterly dependent on God. We don't know if God's going to grant them repentance and faith and or he's going to harden their hearts. I don't know. But we can be faithful. We can glorify God in the process. Um, you must be steadfast. You must have an absolute rock-solid trust in God and in His Word. Even though there were days with counseling this kid, I was scared. I mean, my heart was pounding. And I don't usually ever get scared when I'm counseling. Um, but I, and I was just, in my prayers for her, I was just begging God to give me wisdom because I just didn't exactly know what I was dealing with. And um, keep in mind the big picture. Keep in mind for yourself as well as reminding your counselee of loving God, loving others, but don't neglect the specific put-ons. Uh, these put-ons is going to bring the dross to the surface and the, 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 the um, delusions there are, are going to eventually come out and she's going to tell you and um, you're going to think, well, how in the world could somebody think that? But they really are, um, they, they just get so engrossed in this that their thinking just gets really skewed and off base. Um, the homework and self-talk logs are going to help you really know what's in your counselor's heart and then biblically uh, they can begin to renew their minds instead of continually obsess with what they eat. So, 
let's pray, and then if anybody has any questions, we can do that. Father, we do. Um, we are reminded of the seriousness of this, but we are also reminded of your power and your mercies and your kindness and your holiness and we and your love for us and for our counselees. And I pray, Lord, that you will use us uh, as confident and competent to counsel those who are struggling with this kind of sin issue. And Lord, I pray that you will use the ladies that are here to be able to help others and uh, that you would grant their counselees repentance and faith, that they would humble themselves before you and um, in faith and trust uh, begin to eat. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Does anybody have any questions? I think I just did a data dump. <laughs> okay. I'm counseling a young woman right now who is anorexic, but she also binges. Okay. And so, how often do you see that combination? Well, it. Um. Some are just purist in their anorexia or bulimia, and some, you know, go back and forth. If she's binging, she's she's eating so much that then she's throwing up. So um, she's out of control either way. And so it's important to restrict how much she can eat and uh, important for her to have the food diary and um, the, I, how long has she been doing this? Um, well, you know, the, like you said, the lies start yeah. to the surface. Yeah. The that I'm talking with her, but um, I would guess for at least a year. Okay. How old is she? 20. 20. Okay. Well, does she live with her family or? Okay. And is, are, are they involved? Is it good? Good. Well, if she if she eats and then throws up sometimes, um, I would say you cannot go to the bathroom for at least an hour after you eat, and you have to be with one of your family members for that time. Uh, and eventually they will trust you again, but right now you your job is to re-earn their trust. So. Right, right. That have, we have had these issues for years. Right. Maybe not, but they, there's no accountability and there's no family coming. coming. Right, right. Well, I mean, you, you have to assume they're telling you the truth unless you can prove otherwise. Uh, but if they come to you for this kind of help, then um, I would do the same thing, but I would do the same thing, but I would have maybe a, a woman in the church who could be her uh, advocate come for the, you know the counseling and uh, contact her 
daily and or almost daily to begin with. Uh, pray for her, you know, be her friend. Is it ever helpful to get two people that have eating problems to help each other? Oh no. I well I mean I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't I uh I think that'd be my worst nightmare. They they would connive. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. I have two women in my small group that both have eating issues, bulimia. Yeah. And they're both really skinny, and they go out to one. I mean, they've been friends, and, mm-hmm. you know, so I just didn't know. I, I don't think I would. Um, I've never done that. And would you counsel them separately also? Mm-hmm. I would. I, yeah. If they're interested in it. I mean, not. Uh, they, at this age and at this stage of their life, they have sort of these teams of the hospital, therapeutic, psychotherapeutic stuff. They've got their doctors. They've got, you know, all the... Right. The well, so. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed, to, if you know that, to going to them individually and saying, you know, you might want to um, also consider biblical counseling. I would take them through Elise's book, Love to Eat, Hate to Eat. But you gotta gather data and find it. You know, you'll you'll find other agenda items too. Mm-hmm. So, the uh, the vanity thing is huge. The everybody is obsessed with being a thin, and uh, so. But even bulimia will destroy your health. It'll it'll destroy your teeth. It'll it'll destroy your esophagus because the stomach acid is not intended to be in the esophagus and the throat. So, any other questions? Yes? I don't know if you find this with your Christian counselees, um, but this element where they glorify death is, because I've been on some of those websites that you mentioned, and it's, it's a, they really glorify. Yeah, some of it is really sick and satanic and dark and, oh yeah. Do you find that with your counselees coming from Christian backgrounds? Well, they, well, not normally, no. But if they get so delusional and so impaired with this, um, the they can get really morbid, yes. What do you do with that? Yeah. Well, I just give them the gospel and tell them what God is like. And uh, depending on what they tell me they're thinking, then I would uh, biblically correct the thinking. This room is open to the upstairs. Yeah. It is very pretty, but it's, it's not conducive to... To intimate chats down here. <laughs> Any other questions? How many times did this girl come in like a catatonic before she starts talking? Oh I mean, my! Parents just drag her in every time. Seems like her mother know. had to say stand up, and you know she'd help her. She had to would take her to the bathroom. I mean, she was truly catatonic. How many weeks before she started talking, or I would say. Um, I think we had the first real breakthrough when she started talking a little bit. Um, it was at least two months. 
I'd have to look back. I counseled her from April until I dismissed her right before Christmas. She did, but I'm telling you, it was like pulling teeth, and she was so scared to eat. And she had, she was very intelligent, very much a perfectionist. And she, I took her through Amy's book, Picture Perfect, um, before it came out. I called Amy and said, because I had read the manuscript, I said, will you send me a copy of it or email it to me? I, I can't wait for the book to come out. And we, we when she finally got, uh, made enough progress that she could read again and interact with things, um, we went page by page by page through that book. And I would give her, assign her pages and say, you underline what you think is important. And I'll underline what I think is important, and I'll, we'll we'll go page one. What did you underline? And then I'll tell you, and we'll interact. How many times a week did you meet? I met with her two or three times a week. I was in contact with her mother every day for almost a month. It that that was extreme, and that's unusual. But um, they were. I mean, I was scared. I, I, I even um, called her pediatrician one day and said, would you give her a prescription for a mild tranquilizer? Because I thought if she was having racing thoughts, that would kind of at least calm her brain down a little bit. And he said, no, I'd be scared to do He was scared too, but she needs to go to a psychiatrist. So. And I didn't blame him. I just was like, well, they're trying to avoid that. But she got, they had an assessment from a psychologist uh, who then referred, they, they had to do it with their insurance. They had to do some kind of step. But, and I told the counselee because by that time she was talking a little bit. I said, if you don't go in there and talk to them, they're going to put you in a psych hospital, and I guarantee you're going to hate it. <laughs> you know, I described what it was going to be like, and I said, they will force you to eat. It's not a pretty picture. So, um, so she did talk to the cow when she went <laughs> Oh, I do. I got an email two days ago from her, a text. She said, guess what? I got my driver's license. And I wrote back. I said, I'm so proud of you. And she took a selfie with her and her driver's license and sent it to me. No, no. <laughs> anyway, but um, yes, th this can be repented of, but they've got to stop. So if there's women that you know that you can see all those symptoms on, do you, would you approach them and say, you know, could we meet and, I mean, you would. Well, I mean, if you, if it's obvious that they're um, yeah, struggling, then I would say, you know what, it's obvious to me that you're struggling 
and um, I would like to offer to to do some biblical counseling and um, it's not weird counseling it's practical and um, it's free so you know would think about it so yeah if if they're Christians and they're in the church and they really are doing this and continuing to do it it, be, it can become a Matthew 18 issue yeah, well, yeah. Well, if they don't, you can take it as far as you can. But then I would recommend that they find a, a church that takes the holiness of God seriously. Copyright 2014, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.